This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann, and you're listening to episode 1726, Fair Food Forager. As you may know, this podcast continues to produce new episodes in the gift economy, thanks to listeners like you. Rather than trying to get you to subscribe to meal kits, online therapy, or to buy a luxury mattress, during this campaign I ask you to directly support this work. Together, we reach people all around the world with candid conversations about permaculture that you won't find anywhere else. If you'd like this show to continue, I'm asking you to participate in this fundraiser so that I can bring you another year of the podcast. As this episode comes to you, there are only 20 days left in the annual fundraiser, which ends on October 10th, 2017. So far, we've raised a little over $900, far from my overall goal. Any way you can join in this campaign makes a difference, and together we can continue to create the beautiful world that we want to see. So please take a few minutes and make a one-time donation by going to paypal.me slash permaculturepodcast or drop something in the post. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. My guest for this episode is Paul Hellier, part of the team creating the Fair Food Forager website and app designed to help us make better decisions about what we buy, where we buy it from, and the ecological impacts of those choices. Fair Food Forager does this by providing listings of businesses that align with various ethical choices across 13 different categories. Some of those include reduced waste or composting, reduced plastic, vegetarian food, and chemical-free or organic. Designed to reach an international audience, you'll currently find listings in Australia, Cambodia, Canada, Indonesia, New Zealand, Singapore, United Kingdom, and the United States. Their aim is to expand into other areas as users and business owners add their listings to the Fair Food Forager database. You'll find out more about that and everything else that Paul and the team are doing with Fair Food Forager during our conversation. Let's go ahead and get started and I'll join you again afterwards. I actually, I worked as a, as a lifeguard and, and worked for the, the customs service, like a kind of immigration type thing at, at the airport. I went traveling uh, for a few years, came home and was a bit lost. So went back and worked as a lifeguard again. And while I was there, I, I, did, the, I, I did a course at what we call TAFE, which is a college for, in environment. And then I went from that. That was a good warm-up from being out of school for a few years and then did the university degree. And then while I was working, I worked for the government or the local government as a lifeguard. In the off-season, in the winter, some, I would get called in to work with the environment people. And I ended up working in natural areas, which was restoring the Australian bush doing specifications for contractors and, and training volunteers. And then we also had um, a community gardens program at the same time. And and the same people that were restoring the bush as volunteers, some of those people were also involved in food. And some of those people, like a, I guess a pioneer in permaculture where I lived, uh, his name was um, Daniel Dayton. He was actually running a community garden with permaculture principles and helping me establish a park that had no trees and we got permission off the council and we're, now we've planted about 8,000 trees in this park. So those two programs were working like right up the road from each other. So one, one was a, an old laneway of just grass and he planted 
fruit trees from South America and, and a permaculture garden with fruits and vegetables. And then just kind of 200 metres up the road, we had this park that looked like a green version of the Sahara Desert. Huge, huge park right near kind of leading towards the ocean. And uh, we got permission off the council to plant about 20 mature trees, fig trees. And because it was near the ocean, they were just getting burnt and knocked over. One got mowed by the, the tractor mower. So we started adding gardens around the trees to protect them and then it just turned into pretty much a small forest. Yeah, so this whole strip became like a green corridor for, for birds and, and all that sort of stuff. So that's, that's kind of where I, like, yeah, long story, just from being lost to I need to do something, so I started volunteering, fell into the job sort of because of that reason, because I was already a volunteer. And then spent the next just about 10 years volunteering on the weekend and, and working during the week helping other people do the same thing. And how did that lead you to creating Fair Food Forager? Well, I guess there's a few reasons. So one was when I was doing this environmental work, we ran a – it's called Bush Care. So it's, it's basically a volunteer program that – allows people to come and work on council on government land that's bush and repair it, remove weeds and, and fix creeks and uh, beach fronts, sand dunes, that sort of thing. We would do education for those volunteers, take them on, on walks into the bush and show them how to, how to restore the bush. Then sometimes I would be assisting in sustainability education. So... Uh, and that included sometimes schools. And then in this same community, I guess it's a community of about 200,000 people or so, so it's, quite, it's, a, it's a small city. You'd go to a, like a farmer's market or a bushwalk or a sustainability event or education, and it was like the same, say, 400 people, a mix of that 400 people would be at every event. And it was like I'm like I'm just these people already get it. They love what I'm talking about, but we need more than four hundred people to enact change, whatever that is. Whether that's change with appreciating trees and appreciating the bush or where your food comes from or the waste from food, it's just the same people all the time. Uh, so I started thinking I need to talk to more people than the people who already agree with me. So that was one reason. The other reason was about the same amount of time, probably a bit longer, about 15 years or so, I would run on the beach every morning, my, my local beach, and I'd run for three or four kilometres, I guess two miles or so. And on the way back, I'd run down there with my dog and, and on the way back I'd have a bag with me and I'd fill it up with rubbish, plastic that had been washed in from the ocean. And you do this every day for like 10, 12, 15 years. And regularly I would leave the beach completely spotless and maybe pick up, you know, I don't know, sometimes in your terms, say 10 pounds of plastic, come back 24 hours later the next morning and it was like I had never been there. It was full of plastic again. 
And so putting two and two together, it was how do I reach a bigger audience and how do I do more about the issue of plastic? And, you know, probably 80% of what I was picking up off the beach, this plastic was related to food in some way. So I just thought perhaps technology and then I just started thinking, how am I going to do this? At first, it was like uh, games, like educational games that maybe were f- somehow fun but not uh, direct. I also found a little bit of the vir- environmental movement personally a little bit depressing because I felt like I, you know, what can I do? Um, and then you hear about everything, you know, the, the issue with the oceans and climate change and, and deforestation and species extinctions and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, I eventually it clicked when I was travelling within Australia. I, I went to a, a cafe in another city, a big city, and I didn't know where I was. I was, I was trying to get a coffee and I went to three or four cafes at that time. So that was two, three years ago now. And I could not get a coffee in a ceramic cup. The three or four cafes that I went to all wanted to give me a coffee in a takeaway cup, even though I wanted to sit down and drink it. And I, was, I just thought, this is crazy. So how, how can I know where I can go and find a ceramic cup uh, if I'm not familiar with the area, and then it just came to me, an app. So, yeah, that's <laughs> a long way of telling the story of how I eventually got to deciding that an app was a, was a good good idea. So why don't you tell us a bit about this app and what it's designed to do beyond just connecting people with coffee? So basically we started off with, with a website um, because that was the, the most affordable thing to do, and you just... It's basically a search facility, like many other food listing apps or websites, but we list based on 13 different categories of sustainable practice. So it's not about perfection because I don't think there's such a thing. It's about businesses trying to be better. And the way I describe it, because it's what what I want to do, is that it's about businesses who deserve my money. So, and as far as I'm concerned, somebody who's trying, that's the business that I would pick. And it's cafes, restaurants, grocers and suppliers or producers. So farmers markets and all that sort of thing can be on there. Basically you search your current location if you're traveling or somewhere you might want to be in tomorrow Hopefully, we will have a list of, of businesses on there that are attempting to do something across those categories of sustainability. So they could be reducing plastic, they are reducing food waste, supporting local suppliers, so using local produce and cutting down on, on food miles, in sustainable seafood, vegetarian and vegan options, so less meat products, it could be charitable, so they could just be don- donating to their local community, uh, fair work practices, so their staff are being paid fairly. Uh, yeah, there's uh, fair, uh, fair trade is, is obviously another one. 
Um, so, so yeah, it's it's just everything we could think of that food contributes to to waste or climate change or cruelty to animals. And we're not saying that everyone has to be a vegetarian. It's just that if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, then you can also use the app to find a, a vegan cafe or a vegan restaurant or a place that at least has the option to be vegan. So you're helping consumers live into their integrity a bit more, that those choices that they've made that are of value to them, that they can engage with businesses that support those kinds of practices. Yes, because in general, I think most people do care. Uh, and and I've, I've spoken to thousands of people now, and I, I, I get the impression that, say, somebody that eats meat, most people would prefer to eat meat that is ethically raised, but it's not easy. So if there was a mechanism where they can just quickly search and say, look, I'm, I'm not going to give up meat, but I want to eat beef that was free range and feeding on grass and living naturally, then I will choose that. So it's, it's helping people make those choices that are the choices that will create the change. And then the long-term idea from that is that the, the business that you're supporting because they're, they're supplying, say, free-range meat or they've reduced all their plastic and, and now they don't have any, any plastic takeaway, the customers are supporting them because they're doing the right thing by the planet. So then the competition notices and says, well, Joe down the road is getting extra customers because he's supplying, he's using local produce, he's supporting free range options, and he's got rid of all his plastic and he's donating his food waste to a community garden to turn into soil. Maybe I can do those things too. And, and some of those things, what we're finding, people are saying, oh, why aren't we doing that? That's actually really easy. It's simple for us to have a herb garden or it's simple for us to get our eggs from the from the little farm down the road that has free-range chickens. So we don't need to go to this mass-produced, everything wrapped in plastic and then throw it all in the bin. So I guess it's, a, it's also an educational tool, but it's helping people make those little choices. And on your website, it looks like businesses can register with you then in order to be listed so either a business or a consumer can go on the on the website and suggest something to us. Uh, at, we're a super small team, and part of the reason I'm talking to you from Vietnam is because I'm here with free Wi-Fi, and I can live a little bit cheaper on a with a business that doesn't pay my bills. So yes, the point there is that we're a small team, but they a business suggests. On the app, we have a, a checklist that, so if you're a consumer, you just list whatever you know about it. You tick the icons that you think they're covering and we will get in touch with the business and do some of our own research and, and make sure it's not false or as best that we can and then they will be loaded onto the website. And from a business point of view, if it was your cafe and you were going to add your cafe onto the site, you can run through it a simple checklist that takes uh, it's an online checklist and we get those results and it drills down into each of those questions a little bit more like the percentage of 
say, vegetarian options that you have on your menu so that it gives a, a little bit of a clearer indication of, of which icons you should have for your business and, and then we will talk to you and then uh, upgrade you onto the website. And so that's a constant catch-up for us because we launched in a town called Wollongong, which is about an hour south of Sydney in, in Australia, with 15 listings of businesses that we talked to straight up and said, we need something on this app because we're going, or on this website because we're going to launch it. And we launched it with a, a fair food documentary and had people come watch the movie. And so we needed something on there to show people. And now that was in October uh, 2015. So the website's been going for about 18 months. We're up to about 1,200 listings now that are basically all suggestions from the community or the businesses themselves. And that obviously began in Australia. We started adding businesses in New Zealand, the UK. Just recently, we added the US and Canada. Everything we do costs money, so we, we kind of try to be strategic about it. We're testing Bali, Singapore and Cambodia in, in Southeast Asia as well. And yeah, the hope is that we can, as, as, we, as we grow and more and more people know about us, they will start suggesting places in their own hometown or places that they've visited while, while traveling and, you know, cover more of the US and Canada and, and then into Europe. So people can, and I get, because I'm in Southeast Asia now, I get that all the time. When are you going to bring it to Finland or Germany or, or, or whatever? This is great. Or, or people traveling from there and I meet them in, in Vietnam. And they're, when are you going to bring it to Vietnam? I'd love to know where I can find organic food. So, yeah, the response has been great. It's We're just chipping away and working on it as much as we can. And so by doing it this way, it allows you to do a rolling expansion around the world. You can pick and choose the markets for your next release. And then because it's user generated, you can keep the team kind of small and flexible with what it is that you're going to do. Yes. So I, I guess it has it has more value for people the more businesses that are on there, the more options. So uh, we, yeah, usually we would start probably with the, the bigger cities so Australia grew quite quickly, and I guess because we knew that market. So we're pretty much all volunteers. We have people in the UK, so the UK is building suggestions quite quickly. And we're, what we do is kind of a soft launch in a country first, which is what we've done in the US. Like we really haven't talked about it besides a few posts on social media. And then our hope is that we will get what we call ambassadors, so a handful of people who just like the idea and will talk about it for us and find businesses and then are on the ground so that they can they know that business firsthand and, and then they can add a business or suggest it and uh, tell their friends and talk to the, to the business owner and let them know that they're on there. And then when we're satisfied that there's enough volume to help the consumer, then we will officially say we're here. And that's has grown quicker than than we thought, I, I guess. Like, but really, the only official launches have been Australia and shortly the UK. Southeast Asia is is uh, 
I think, extremely interesting because there's a feel for change here, but it's very different to uh, somewhere like Bali is is fine. I was just there a, a month ago. There's uh, you know organic food and uh, a big vegan vegetarian movement. You know people are into health and nutrition and all the food is is local and the climate's beautiful and it's it's happening. But some other countries in Southeast Asia, you know, I've gone past shops here where where it says organic, and there's um, boxes of Milo cereal and stuff in the window. I'm pretty sure that's not organic. So yeah, just saying. Oh, look, this cafe is organic. It might just mean that it grew in the ground. The food that they're using grew in the ground. So it's probably not the same thing that we think of as organic. So it's a, it's a, going to be a slower process here, but very exciting because people actually are starting to realise what what is all these chemicals that we're putting on our food and and uh, you know that their tourism industry and and plastic and 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 that sort of thing. So. I'm very passionate about plastic, so I tend to go on a lot about that sometimes. Well, and I also saw on your page, Apply for Your Business, that you have a line that says, the only deal breaker or red flag in our relationship is styrofoam. Why do you say that? That's probably because of me. Uh, I, like I said, 15 years of, of running on a beach, and some sometimes I would see the whole tideline of a shore covered in styrofoam balls like it had snowed or even just take away styrofoam containers, you know, broken into a hundred pieces. And I've seen, I'm not being unfair to just styrofoam. It's just that I, I also felt like if we were, you know, saying that, that this, this cafe or restaurant or whatever is fantastic. And then people are walking out of there with styrofoam containers for their lunch and it, it's just it's not a good look and it's also not very good for people's health either um heating up styrofoam is um is a carcinogenic uh, activity really so yeah I, I just i think there's so many alternatives that we, we that was probably the hardest line thing that we that we came up with and like i said at the start we're not about perfection so I guess it can seem unfair to people that like styrofoam, but I don't like it. Well, and it's interesting to me because of some of the things that I've read about how recyclable styrofoam is, how little energy it requires to recycle or to manufacture compared to some plastics and other things, that in a perfect system where all the styrofoam was being caught by the waste stream for recycling or something, it's not that bad, but it's when it gets into the environment that it sucks. Or like plastics are kind of the same way. We can do all kinds of things with them to reuse them and do them again. But once, you know, you have like food oils in them, they're harder to clean and they wind up being downcycled and aren't used at the same level. Or you mentioned the beach. It's a place that my family and I go regularly for vacation. It's one of the things that I find myself doing is walking up and down with a bag. And for me, it's finding all these broken bits of hard plastic plastic yeah I, I think when I kind of first started well I guess I've been interested in the environment my pretty much since I was a, a child but when I really started getting into knowing more about the environment and, and what humans do to it I, I at first it was yet yeah, like recycle you know recycle recycle and, and probably a decade ago that was what everyone was talking about and it's definitely a step in the right direction, 
But I think the big problem with recycling is, is, is a lot of people don't understand what it is and a lot of people don't understand what is their local area is capable of. And I know, you know, a place that where I grew up and, and lived most of my life, still there was confusion about what could be recycled. Like, for example, where, where I'm from, soft plastics aren't recyclable except in a supermarket and nobody really knows where that goes, like if it's shipped to China or somewhere to be recycled. Um, so that's, a, that's another issue. But, but I, would, I would ride my bike to work each day and on a windy day, uh, people's bins had been tipped over and the recycle bin that definitely couldn't handle soft plastics had soft plastics in there. So, and then there's the whole, is the whole load then contaminated? So it just goes to landfill anyway. So, yeah, I think we're never going to get away from having packaging for food and fast food and takeaway and all that's not going to go anywhere. So if we have products that are compostable, you know, and you leave out in the rain for a few days and they disintegrate into the soil because they're made of uh, wheat or, or leaves or something like that, I think that's where we need to head. And it's just that whole single-use mentality that's a little bit crazy. And, and, you know, I see it here. It's hard to look at sometimes when, you know, something like a, a cup of juice or coffee is a, is a, a plastic cup with a, a plastic lid, with a plastic straw, with a plastic handle separate, and then a plastic bag as well. And it's been consumed in less than five minutes and then thrown on the ground or in a bin if it's lucky. And then where does it go? In some places it's just burnt and, and that's not good either. And I guess it comes down to cost if the market for compostable packaging could be similar or subsidised and then and then given to in places like this street food vendors and per perhaps that's what we need to do perhaps there needs to be a tax on uh, like non reusable packaging or, or just plastic packaging and then that tax is a subsidy for a compostable packaging because there's also biodegradable packaging but a lot of those things need a commercial facility to break down so and I've tested this at home with my own composts in the garden and me put one of those compostable packets into the compost and come back six months later and it's brand new still so uh, there's a there's a lot of misconceptions about recycling well and you make me think about also something like a paper cup many of the paper cups we get these days are no longer waxed even though previously that wax was from petroleum bases now very often they're sprayed with a thin layer of plastic so even though that paper cup may seem better there's no way to handle that as anything other than refuse because there's no way to separate that thin layer of plastic from the paper and there's someone who i've interviewed several times on the show Joshua Hughes. And one of the things that he talked about is he used to run a commercial recycling center and talked about, you know, if he has a couple of tons of paper bailed up and there's nobody to buy it because the market's not there, it just becomes trash. And that as permaculture practitioners or as people who are looking to move these ideas forward, not only is it one about finding better packaging because it's just going, it's kind of a requirement in our current 
consumer culture, but also to take that idea. We have the like the recycling triangle here in the United States that it's reduce, reuse, recycle as kind of like three paths for trash. And one of the things that we've started adding to the conversation is that we need to start it with refuse so that we decide to make choices that involve less packaging or any packaging at all, then reduce, reuse, repair and recycle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it it just it's look with everything that we do, I guess we just need a little bit of um, consideration for what we're about to do with, with everything. So. I just posted today on our website about some some techniques for reducing plastic because it's plastic free July and nobody's saying you have to go out and and save the planet yourself tomorrow and and the, the weights on your shoulders it's up to you we just need to consider that we're part of the planet and we need this planet to survive and so, you know, I, if, if you can walk to the shop, you know, can you walk or, or do you need to take your car? Or if, I'm, if there's two shops to choose from and, and one has no plastic and the other one is going to provide me with lots of waste for that coffee or juice or my lunch, should I then go and support the business that is going to be waste-free? And I think... Yeah, we just need to weigh up those things and start thinking about what happens. You know, is because, like you said, with the with the coffee cups, for example, there are coffee cups, disposable coffee cups that are compostable, and some that are recyclable. Do you know? Like, I, I couldn't just look at one and tell which one's right. And even some of the brand names and things like that, they sound really green, but they might not be, or they might be slightly better than another one. So yeah, talk to the talk to the business owner because if the, if the business owner has gone to the trouble of getting something that's compostable, then they're probably going to know all about it because they they care enough that they've gone to the trouble to support something that they believe in because they realise that they they need to change the way we consume. So yeah, I think it's you know we could talk about that forever. But by having that one conversation and finding a company that's interested about these kinds of issues, and if you will, cares about it, then they're the kind of business owner to talk to, to consider for inclusion on Fair Food Forager. Yes. And, and they, you know, like I said, there's, there's 13 different uh, little icons that, that we have. So you can look at it and instantly see this one's reducing plastic. That doesn't mean they've got no plastic. It just means they're they're attempting to reduce it. So they might be saying, we have no plastic straws or you have to ask for a plastic straw. You don't get a plastic bag. You get a discount for uh, bringing your own coffee cup in. Those type of things, which are, you know, lots of businesses are starting to introduce. But you can straight away see, oh, yeah, they're, they're attempting to reduce plastic. But if you've had that conversation, a good chance is that if people are, shopping at their local uh, farmer's market or um, uh, having a coffee every day or they they have a couple of regular restaurants that they visit, there's a good chance that they have a bit of a relationship with the owners uh, or the staff and probably have a good feeling 
Look, I would bet that just about everyone that's, that listens to your podcast would know of a handful of businesses in their town that are trying to be better and they would probably just about all know two or three that are amazing. I know where I live, uh, where I'm from, there's, a, there's a several businesses that are just pretty much covering all bases. If they have seafood, it's a, they're sustainable species. They've pretty much got rid of all plastic that they can. They support locally. They might barter with, with other businesses. You know, I've got too many tomatoes. You've got lots of lemongrass and they swap. I know um, some cafes where I'm from where they're like using parts of vegetables and things that would normally just go in the bin and in the trash and they're cooking special or making special salads out of those little parts of the vegetables that would normally be wasted. So, and that's, you know, that's from where, that's one little town or quite a big town, but that, that's, yeah, I guarantee that everyone who, you know, leaves their front door <laughs> would would know who they would like to support if they have a, an inkling about the, the environment, I care about the environment. And like I said before, I don't, I think that most people do care. They're just time poor uh, or, or they're maybe they're a little bit shy to ask the staff about something. And well, then the hope is that somebody else has already asked and then they've put that information on, on our app. It's one of the things that interests me about your app and what you just mentioned there about time poor is a big piece of it. One of the conversations that I have regularly with the listeners and have had some one-on-one -on -one conversations with, especially with the Patreon supporters, is about living intentionally. And some folks have asked me, how, how do I live the way that I do and make all the choices that I do? And I'm honest that sometimes it's exhausting. Something as simple as trying to find a pair of boots that were made in the United States and that could be repaired later on in their, in their life took me months and months to find one because very often I could find something that was assembled in the United States or from components in the United States, but the way that they were welted, they couldn't be and everything else. And eventually I was able to find a pair that everything from the thread to the laces to the soles, everything is made in the U.S. and they can be repaired multiple times through their lives. But that took me months and months and hours of research, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And how how is like that's that statement, ignorance is bliss, is the truest statement of all time. Once you start knowing about something, you know, going to university was was difficult, being at university, or or even doing a, a any sort of course where I learned about the Australian bush became tiring because now I know about when I look at something I would I would know that the why that's the way it is or you know with with the bush I would I would look at uh, vegetation in in Australia and see all the weeds and then think how am I going to get rid of those weeds and then you know ride my bike a kilometer down the road and see more and like, how am I going to get rid of those as well and it's and it's the same with with what you talked about, once you start thinking to yourself, how am I going to reduce my impact? Uh, I need to do, you know, I need to ride to work. I, I need to, um, I need to eat less meat. I, I need to reduce my plastic. I need to grow native plants and put ponds in the backyard to support birds and frogs. And, and, and it becomes tiring. So, 
yeah, any way that we can make it easy, easier for people to contribute. And like I said, they don't have to do it all, but if but I think people do want to contribute, and if we can help them do that, then that's kind of we're, we're moving in the right direction. And and the more people doing that, the more the more pressure there is on on companies to change, and the more pressure there is on governments to take notice and start doing things like I said, perhaps taxing plastic and and subsidising compostable packaging or, you know, providing whatever facilities that is that that helps uh, the environment. But I think, you know, another reason I might be going off track here a little bit, but and, and I did spend a lot of time trying, like writing letters to politicians and, and things like that uh, in Australia, and I, I guess the, the frustration of how slow things are in in that realm like quite often you need 10,000 signatures before we'll even talk about it and it's it's just like I I can't keep waiting for you politicians to sort this out so I just have to do something and whatever that is if that's picking up some a few bits of rubbish every time you go to the beach or um, having a couple of meat-free days in your diet or riding your bike to work that's how we have to think of it. We can't fix the world's problems on our own and we can't just rely on somebody else to do it, but we can contribute in some in some little way. And whatever way that is for you, then that's that's fantastic. If that's growing your own food, if that's having a permaculture garden and growing your own food and working with your neighbours and supplying, you know, next door with some tomatoes or, or eggs or whatever that is, that's great because those, those eggs and tomatoes aren't packaged, they're not transported. I, I, was think, I was thinking about this, us having this chat this morning, and I, I was thinking about one of the most, I think, insulting things that I can think of, the way how we've gone from, you know, the everyone working on the farm and, and that was their job and they people naturally bartered for, for different things in their community and town and it was all about the, uh, you know, producing enough food for your family and then possibly your neighbours and all that sort of stuff to this mass consumption and, and losing that consideration for, for what you're doing and how that's affecting the planet is, is I think, with from what I've seen with, say, meat, where the resources to, to raise cattle the land that was cleared, where those for the, for the cattle to, to live, you know, the water, the food that they need to feed them, then the, sometimes the life of the animal, which is terrible, sometimes, and then for that animal to be slaughtered, packaged, frozen or, or cooled, transported, put on a shelf in a in a supermarket or or given to you in a restaurant. It's too big for you to eat, so you eat half of it and the rest goes in the bin. I just, I can't believe that we we could get to that point. That animal lived its life and and all the resources that went into getting that animal to your plate and then it's just going to be wasted. Yeah, I think some things like definitely need to change like, and, and for our health as well. Sustainability and health go hand in hand. Because if 
too much meat isn't very good for our health and eating fresh vegetables that are in their own skins is good for our health, using our bodies for transport, which is what we were made to do, running or riding a bicycle to work or walking somewhere or growing food in your garden and having trees in your garden is clean is giving clean air to your home there's even been studies where they've uh, reduced particle type pollution and that's reduced it into the house as well so the the benefits of being sustainable are not just for the planet you should also think about the benefits of being more sustainable for your own health and all the ways that those things interrelate when we care for ourselves and for earth they have these kind of multiplicative effects for all of those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. You, if you feel you feel healthy and you're you're able to to get out there and enjoy nature in in some way, like that's being in the trees or being near the ocean, having a, a walk in the in the mountains, being around the waking up to to the sound of birds. Or, or insects and things like that it has such a calming effect on you and 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 I, I believe there's there's quite a few studies as well on that people's mental state from being around trees compared to being around um, square concrete structures uh, you know without a green kind of break in the, in the scenery so there's another one, mental, you know, mental health. It's not just that they're cleaning the air and, and providing oxygen and with more uh, green spaces solving some like, flooding issues and, and there's just, uh, you, know, we, you know, we could we could state all the benefits to being part of nature. But, yeah, we just need to be, I, I guess, the whole point to this discussion is we, we, I think we just need to co- consider what we're doing and, and how we're living with the planet for us and for the planet. By living a little bit more consciously into these decisions, we can reconnect with Earth and what matters to us as individuals and communities. Yes, absolutely. And, and communities, that's another one. You know, that's how, how many people don't know their neighbours. You know, so some of these things that, uh, you know, permaculture gardens or, or, or community gardens or volunteer groups that are that are doing things like planting trees or having cleanups they're, they're amazing social events too so and not only are you getting fruit and vegetables or exercise from picking up plastic like picking up plastic on the beach is great exercise I, I've walked back you know with sore hands and sore shoulders from carrying so much plastic and I had to get there by by foot as well so See, they, they can think of um, cleaning their local beach or their local park as a, as a fitness activity. Have a beach cleaning 5K? Yeah. There's a group in Australia called uh, Responsible Runners, and it's basically just a group of, of people who are into running, and, and they, they do what I was doing. They're, they're running on the beach, and they're picking up some rubbish on the, on the way back. So, so yeah, your, your legs are getting some fitness into your legs, and then also some a bit of weightlifting. Before we draw this to a close, is there anything else that you would like to add to the conversation, Paul? I would just like to, I guess, say that I do, I do believe that 
that we can turn things around. And and I feel like there is change in the air. And like I said, with Fair Food Forager, we've, you know, I, I started by speaking to people who are pretty much like me, uh, who were volunteering with me and, and were, you know, supporting the local co-op or market or whatever. But then as I've gone with this journey, so our app was only ready in September last year, so it's not very long. And in that short time, I've spoken to people from all walks of life who have who have said just that, like, yes, I, I want to reduce my plastic or I want to eat less meat or, 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 or I can't believe when I was at in my job until I started doing this full time, almost everyone in, in our office became either vegan or vegetarian in, in the, the five years or so that I was there. So that's kind of growing as well. Uh, or like I said, people just eating less meat. The Plastic Free July this month, there's more and more. I feel like the conversation is bigger. There's television shows now that are, we had a show in Australia called The War on Waste, which has got people saying about those coffee cups in particular, like, oh, gee, I didn't know that they were um, recyclable. I'm going to get myself a reusable cup now and start taking that to the cafe when I get my daily coffee. So I do feel positive about about the future and where we're headed. And there might be some crazy things going on at a at the big level with with politics and things like that, you know, and you probably know more about that than I do. But I think on the on a grassroots, on the ground level, the feeling is that people are starting to realise we've got to do something and they're starting to take matters into their own hands. And I feel the vibe is changing. And like I said, here in Southeast Asia, you talk to people on the street and they know that plastic is, there's too much plastic. And, and they know that there's too, there's too many chemicals being used in food. So, and, and I don't watch television here or anything like that, but so I don't know where they're getting that information from, but somehow it's filtering down and the, and the person on the street is, is starting to do something. And I think if we can have things like Fair Food Forager like different community groups, like what you you guys are doing with, with permaculture and, and showing people that they can grow their own food, they can they can supply a portion of their own food, simple things like uh, herbs, then it's all a step in the right direction. And each little thing that we do is contributing to a better future. I like that we were able to take this time together to sit down, record what I imagine is just the first of several conversations about this work of connecting people to resources and helping to make the decision-making process of living an intentional life a little bit easier. So thank you for joining me today, Paul. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Scott. It's great. And that was Paul Hellier of Fair Food Forager. Find out more about him and this project at fairfoodforager.com.au and by searching for Fair Food Forager in the iOS or Android App Store. If after listening to this interview you're interested in helping out with the project, get involved by talking with local business owners who are already offering the products and services that you look for, and ask them about what they're doing to align with your goals and the 13 categories of Fair Food Forager, and then list them on the website or in the iOS or Android app. I had this conversation with Paul because I look at all the ways that we use technology to connect with the voices around the world 
that are making a difference and creating the kinds of change that we want to see. And so this is the first of two conversations about people who are leveraging these kinds of tools so that we as consumers can make better choices. The next is out on October 7th for Patreon supporters and October 10th for regular release when I speak with Victor Zonders of localfoodnodes.org, which is a site that directly connects consumers and farmers so that they can find ways to sell, barter, and trade the food and services that they're looking for. And so I'm wondering if you know of any websites or services that are doing this kind of work. Who's using technology, whether it's an email list or a fully developed app, to help connect people and in turn make the decisions that they have in their lives a bit easier so that they can find wholesome, organic, or regeneratively grown food to find locally made products or services. If you know of anything like that, get in touch. Leave a comment in the show notes at thepermaculturepodcast.com. Give me a call, 717-827-6266. Shoot me an email, show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. Or drop me a postcard or letter, The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. And though that interview with Victor is coming up in October, the next regular episode of the podcast will be my second conversation with Gianicles Caldwell about beginning and mastering cheesemaking. Until then, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and your community.